Loved to love. First John deals a lot with the topic of love, and we're going to continue our series through First John today as we start uh, chapter one last week. We're going to continue chapter one this week as well. And again, we're just glad you're with us today. I hope it is a blessing to you. I know it will be, as God has laid this upon my heart to share this with you today. As a question, as I typically do every time I start a sermon, I ask you a question. Have you ever had a once hidden truth revealed to you in a profound, significant way? I shared with you last week, if you're here for that, uh, the news that we once received that we were having identical twins. And that was shocking. In fact, I used that exact word on the ultrasound that I showed you. Uh, It was shocking to hear that we were having identical twins, but it was a good thing. Once we realized how great twins is, uh, it was a fantastic piece of news. But I'm going to share with you a couple stories here of, of news that was once hidden from me that was then revealed to me. Okay, One not so good and one good. Um, when we were younger, we had this dog. Anybody have a dog as a child or even now? Yeah, we had, we had one. Uh, you know, we had a couple. We had this dog when I was about five or six, and his name was Chunky. Chunky. He was a black lab. We lived on a little piece of land out there, and he was able to run around and stuff like that. He was a great dog. Well, he wasn't a great dog, I guess. There were some issues, but... Um, I love Chunky. Chunky was like my first dog, you know, he was just a fantastic dog. He just loved to rough around with you and just play with you and stuff like that. Well, one day my parents had to bring us some sad news. That Chunky had ran away. And as a five, six-year-old, it was very tough to hear that Chunky had ran away. I was like, oh, no, Chunky. Right? And in fact, I think as a little kid, you're, you're kind of, once you hear... <laughs> Once you hear that your dog ran away, you just keep expecting him to one day just return, right? Just one day while you're out just playing around, all of a sudden Chunky's there. It's like he'd never left. So I remember sometimes at night I'd be kind of looking out the window in my bedroom going, Chunky, Chunky, where are you, Chunky? That was a sad day. Chunky never returned because he ran away. That was what I was told. Well, 15 years go by or so. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And <laughs> we start. Chunky comes up in the conversation, going, "Remember, Chunky? Well, he was such a great dog. It's so. It's such a shame that he had he ran away and never returned." And my dad's like, "Well, I think you're old enough now, Todd. Chunky did not run away." I was like, "What? Of course he did. We never saw Chunky again. Chunky was gone from that point on. Yes, he was, Todd. He was gone." From that point on, but it's not because Chunky ran away, it's because we had to put him to sleep. I was like, what? I used to I used to ask the Lord to bring Chunky back. You know, like Chunky. He was put to sleep and there were some issues. Chunky had to had to go night night. But that was one of those things that was revealed to me. I was like, oh no, Chunky. And I I had, you know, as a 20-something-year-old man then kind of awkwardly dealing with that news. <laughs> I shouldn't feel sad, but why do I? Um, but Chunky, uh, Chunky had to be put down. So that was news that was revealed to me. That wasn't such great news. But there is a, there's a better piece of news here. Uh, and to give you a little bit of a, a background into the story I'm about to share with you, when I moved to Michigan in 2008, it was to do campus ministry. And uh, I went out there, and we, I was going to tent make. I was going to work and provide for myself and my new wife and things like that. So I had a job that didn't go real well. I worked there for about a month, and I had to find a new job. And... I told some of you guys this story already a little bit. Well, I did find a new job. I had worked at Best Buy for two years until I moved to Michigan, so I had some retail experience. And one of the, one of the places I was hiring, at least for seasonal help at the time, was a store called Circuit City. Does anybody remember that? Circuit City. Okay. So Circuit City was hiring. It was like 2008. If the economic recession was really bad. I really needed some money. I really needed to provide for my family. So Circuit City was going to hire some... Seasonal help, and I got hired there. It was a great thing, and I was only getting, like, you know, 15, 20 hours a week or something like that. But after the seasonal part went through, they decided they were going to actually keep one seasonal worker and promote them. And so that news was kind of buzzing around the store going, you know, I wonder who they're going to keep. Well, apparently one of the managers came to me the one day and said, Todd, we talked to a lot of people, and a lot of people recommended that you're the guy we should keep. And I was like, really? He goes, yep. Yep. 
If you're okay with it, we're going to promote you to a full-time job with benefits. It's commissions. So if you sell TVs, you can make a good amount of money. And I was like, praise the Lord, because we need it. You know, we're starting this ministry and I need the money for it. And so that was a good piece of news. Unfortunately, maybe you guys know the end of the story. <laughs> um, that March, which I remember coming out of the seasonal health, they decided to hire me around March. And I told this news to Janine all excitedly. And in a matter of two weeks, it was shut completely. Circuit City went belly up, had to close their doors. I lost my job, of course. So I had my full-time job with benefits and commission for about two weeks. That was, that was a wild ride. Um, but so I lost, I lost our provisions. We didn't have any money. So Janine and I, we found ourselves in kind of a bind. And it was about 2011, I believe. We had to find a new apartment to live. And we had to really, really pray about this because we didn't have the money, the resources to do this at the time. So we prayed and asked the Lord that if he would allow us an apartment to live in, that he would provide the necessary funds to do that. Well, we got to a tricky place where we had to get out of our old place and we had to get into a new apartment. So the news of the provisions or whatever that job was going to be that was going to provide had not come to us yet. So we had to make a very interesting choice to sign a lease on an apartment without the knowledge of where the money for that apartment was going to come from. And that was tricky. But Janine and I felt like we had to do this. This was an act of faith. God was you know, going to test us to see if we were going to be willing to follow him in ministry. And so we signed our names to the lease and said, God, we're trusting you. You've got to provide well, you fast forward about three months, it was around Christmas time, and we came out east, we were living in Michigan at the time, we came out east here in Pennsylvania to spend time with my parents, and you were opening gifts just like you do on Christmas, and all the gifts had been opened, and you know, you remember that kind of let down after all the gifts were open, <laughs> even as a mid-20-something guy. Um, but my dad sat us down, kind of like he did with Chunky, <laughs> and uh, he said, Todd, actually, there's one more gift for you guys, and I said, oh yeah, really? Yeah, he goes, yeah, and uh, he hands me an envelope, and I was like, well, you know, what's this about? And he goes, just open it. Open the envelope, and I opened up the envelope, and inside was the envelope was a check for $20,000, and I'm like, what? I saw $2,000, and I freaked out, because I was like, $2,000? Who, who is this $2,000 from? He's like, it's anonymous. I can't tell you. And then I looked at it again. He goes, Todd, it's not $2,000. I looked again. It was $20,000. And I was like, unbelievable that God had always had a plan to provide for this, this apartment that we then moved into. It had great confidence we could pay it for it at that point. But that was a, a once hidden truth that was revealed to us that sort of changed our lives. We're going to make our way through First John here. That's our plan. And we're going to talk about a message that God has for his people. Okay, this one is a little bit deeper, a little bit heavier than last week. Okay, last week we talked about, you know, God, uh, Jesus Christ being manifested to us so that John phrases it so that our joy may be complete. And every time you see the word joy in the scriptures, you're thrilled, right? That's exactly what you want to see in scripture is that so your joy can be complete. And then John sort of transitions a little bit. And this is where we find ourselves today in 1 John Chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, and I'm just going to read it aloud, and then we're going to walk our way through it today, okay? This is what it says. Listen to the first part. This is the message we have heard from him, from God, and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The title for the lesson today is Shedding Light on Darkness. Okay, we're going to talk about light. We're going to contrast that with darkness today. That's kind of the whole point. And I did something interesting this week. I, I prepared a sermon. It was, it was a, right according to the text, exactly what the text is saying. And I didn't have any peace about it. It was <laughs> like two days ago, um, two nights ago. I just didn't have any peace about the direction of the sermon. So I blew it up and I started fresh. And it was just something that God has placed in my heart saying, you've you, you got to take this another direction. So I did. So, in fact, the title was changed. I went into the little slides and changed the title. So, the title today is Shedding Light on Darkness. Okay. 
you need to listen to the first part here because if you've ever been to a play or something like that, you know when someone sets the stage, what that's like, right? The first scene opens, the curtain opens, and the stage is set. John is setting the stage for what he wants to tell us today. And this is the set stage. This is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That needs to really set the stage for what John is going to tell us today, because he's going to tell us a little bit uncomfortable things to hear. But we need to understand what, what he's telling for us, again, is for our joy and for our benefit. So John's goal today is for us to think correctly about sin and righteousness, in order that three things would happen, okay? The first one is so that we know what path we're on, and we're very clear about that. We know that we're on either the correct path or the wrong path, and that truth is revealed to us so we can know what to do. That's number one. Number two, so that sin can be exposed or brought into the light. That's number two. And then number three is so that we can know that we are true recipients of God's cleansing and forgiveness through Jesus' blood. That's the point. That's what John is trying to get across today, okay? So that he and I and you and I can have confidence that we are on the right path, that we are going the right way, that we are who we think we are, okay? Claiming to not have sin, as he's going to talk about later on, further compounds the problem. We need today to be honest. With, we need to be honest with sin, honest with darkness, and our tendencies to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Because we do, and I do. But instead today, we need to be honest, we need to be correct, we need to be truly following the right Jesus, so that you and I can be eternally clean and secure. That's your benefit. That's my benefit. So that we can be clean, so we can be secure, so we can have confidence that we're going the right way. That's for your benefit. That's a good thing. In order to do that, he's going to bring up a few issues. And we're going to talk about three issues here. Issues back in the day, issues today, and we need to talk about these because they're in the text. And they actually are issues. And so issue number one, as we're going to look at today, is that we often have a wrong view of God. And when you have a wrong view of God, everything else is then crooked. If you don't understand God, everything else is going to be askew and weird and bad. So we need to understand this one thing that we just mentioned. God is holy. He's holy, holy, holy. And in him is no darkness at all. God is not dim. He is not well lit. He is not very bright or even full of light. God is light. Do you notice that distinction? He is light, and therefore he has zero relationship with darkness. That's important to know. If we don't have the right view of God, everything else won't make sense either. We won't go the right way. We won't understand the right things. So we need to understand that God and darkness do not have fellowship. They can't. And I'm going to illustrate this as we go on, why that is the case. But as you look at this language in 1 John 1, 5 to 10, you can have two perspectives. You can look at the language and go, well, that's kind of harsh. Do you really have to say it that way, John? Is there a different tone you could take? Is there a different language you can use? Or you can look at it and go, that's obvious. That's obvious. God doesn't have any relationship with darkness. Obviously, God has no relationship with sin. So there's two perspectives. You can look at it very judgmental and go, really, John, you know, step off. Or you can say, absolutely, 100% correct. And I hope the second one is the one you'll take today, that God cannot have any relationship with darkness because he's holy and he's pure and he's light. So the first issue that generally you and I face, the world faces, is that everyone has a wrong view of God. Don't you think the world has a wrong view of God? Don't you think most of the people who say they don't believe in God and don't want God are viewing God incorrectly? That if they knew the true God and experienced his real love, they would change their tune. And go, wait a minute, he is good. He is light. He is someone I want in my life. And that is, unfortunately for us, even very easy to do, is have a wrong view of God. We need to understand this next thing. God detests wickedness. Okay, this is, again, not something I generally want to talk about very much or linger on, but it has to be said because, again, if we don't understand it, we're not going to understand John's message today. So God detests 
wickedness. I have to use that strong language. And I'm going to give you several bullet points here to prove to you, if you're not, if you're not sure about that already, that God detests wickedness. So the first one is this. There was a, once an angel named Lucifer. I'm sure you guys have heard that before. He was in heaven. His name means morning star. That's what the name Lucifer means. When you hear the name Lucifer now, you kind of recoil going, oh, that's Satan. But he was, his name was Lucifer, and his name meant morning star. And you guys know the story. Lucifer had pride. Lucifer sought to usurp God. And as soon as he did this, guess what Lucifer did? He turned to darkness. And as soon as he turned to darkness, guess what God did? God kicked him out of heaven. Because God has no relationship with darkness. As soon as Lucifer said, I want to be God. I want to usurp God. Pride became in Lucifer's heart. God sent him packing. Be gone. And he fell. That's what actually happened. He fell. He was a fallen angel. And now his name is Satan. And the name Satan can mean adversary. Enemy. You see what happens there? When darkness came into the scene, the morning star turned into the adversary. Because God does not have a relationship with darkness. That's how stark he is against sin. So he kicked Lucifer out of heaven. Number two, he created this universe that you and I have heard of. And uh, we had these uh, ancestors called Adam and Eve, and they were perfect, they were holy, they were made just like God. And yet they found themselves kicked out of paradise. And do you remember why? Because like a thousand sins, or was it that many? Was it a hundred? Was it fifty? One sin. One was enough to warrant God kicking them out of the garden of paradise forever. One. Do you see that? God detests wickedness. Even the people he cherished and created in a special, unique way. One sin, one act of darkness, get out. And not only that, next thing he did is he cursed man, cursed them, and he cursed the earth that they've stayed upon, they lived upon. Everything got really, really bad because of one sin. Isn't that an amazing thing to know? That God and darkness are so against each other. That even his most cherished creation, all it takes is one sin to find yourself away from God. So he kicked him out of paradise. He cursed man and he cursed the earth because of one sin. He also did this several chapters later in Genesis, although it was generations and generations later. He destroyed the world with a flood. He didn't want to. He didn't. He didn't. It was a dilemma. God hated wickedness. If you remember this tale of uh, Noah and the days of Noah, the world was very wicked upon the earth, very violent, very self-seeking, and God hated that. And he didn't want to fellowship at all with these people because of that. But he waited. He waited to see if the generations would sort of correct themselves, and the next generation might turn back to him. And you also know this story. They didn't. They did. They kept getting more and more wicked. So God actually in Genesis said he was sorry he made mankind. He was sorry he ever created them because of how wicked they were. And he decides to blot them off the face of the earth like you would with a smudge on your shoe. Get it out. Wipe it off. Except for eight people. Noah and his family were the only ones that found God's favor because they lived upright and righteous and weren't like the wicked, weren't like the violent. And so God created an agent of salvation called the ark. And he said, Noah, you got to build this thing, and then you, you and your family got to get in it because I'm going to blot the rest of mankind off the earth. God detests wickedness. Do you notice that? Fast forward even further. We come to these towns called Sodom and Gomorrah who are also wicked, living in sexual immorality. And God tried to be merciful and said to, said to Abraham, listen, if you find five people that are righteous, similar to like Noah, I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The problem is there weren't five. So he told Lot and his wife to get out of town because fire was coming from the sky. In fact, the interesting thing is that he, he destroyed darkness with light. Do you notice that? And Sodom and Gomorrah were wiped clean like they never existed. Smoke rising up from the, from the ground as if they never were. God destroyed them because he detests wickedness and has no fellowship with darkness. The next one is really heavy, really severe, but also the crux of our salvation. He crushed his own son. When Jesus finally stepped into the place of the sinner, and it was time to judge, God turned his back. 
and the sky went dark for three hours in the middle of the day, symbolizing broken fellowship, symbolizing it is now pure darkness. And God turned his back and he crushed his own son for our sake so that we don't have to be crushed, so that we can find life. And we talked about that a couple weeks. So did Jesus get a lighter degree of punishment because he's Jesus? No, he didn't. He didn't. He faced the full wrath of God for your sake and for my sake. On the cross, God's love for us and God's hatred of sin came together in one act to show you, I love you, I cherish you, and yet at the same time, I will crush the wicked. Wow. God detests wickedness. So Jesus Christ, once again, is our only salvation, our only Savior. We miss out on Jesus Christ. We miss out on everything. And we will find eternal darkness. And the last place, the last reason we find out that God detests wickedness is that he created a place called hell. Hell isn't Satan's domain. The devil didn't create an abode and decide to have this you know, little party area for all of eternity. Hell is a place of eternal punishment and destruction created by God. And the whole place, the way it's described in the scripture is eternal darkness. There's no God. On the earth, even if you hate God, he sends you rain, he sends you sunshine, he watch out for you, right? Even those who hate God and revile God and hate God today are still being taken care of by that God. But in hell, he leaves. And all you find is his punishment. God is not there watching out for you any longer because he detests wickedness. He hates it, and he will have no fellowship with darkness. It's heavy, right? I don't really want to talk about that or linger there long, but we have to understand that because John is going to say something very obvious today. You can't walk in darkness. Can't. Cannot happen. And have fellowship with God. So, but there's hope today. We're going to finish on the hope. We're going to talk about the issues and finish on the hope. But listen to this one thing today. We do not have to walk in darkness any longer. We don't have to live in darkness any longer. There is a Savior. His name is Jesus, and he came to do two things. To save us from our sins and to destroy the works of the devil. So the devil will be rendered powerless over you. It says right there in 1 John 3, 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is from the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's the bad news, but listen to the hope. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil so that you and I don't have to walk in darkness any longer. Light can come back into the scene, into our world, into our soul. In other words, remember the first thing God did when he created the world, let there be light. He did it again with Jesus. There's darkness all upon the earth. Let there be light. And he sent the light to this earth. And that light has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. Issue number two. This comes up in verse, chapter, or verse number six. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In our day and age, and even generations before us, we often try to create a middle path between right and wrong or light and darkness, right? As if there's some kind of third option. Okay, I'm not really light. I don't really follow Christ and really listen to God, but I'm also not fully dark. Somewhere in the middle, you know? I got a foot in each camp. That's not an option. Unfortunately, that's not an option. You and I cannot be in darkness and be in light. You know how I illustrate this? You can't go north and south. Can't. You either go north or you go south. No one's ever successfully done both at the same time. So if you and I claim to have fellowship with God while we practice sin, we have seriously messed up our view of God, as well as our view about the truth of right and wrong. To say that we have fellowship with darkness, we walk in sin, we practice sin, and yet God still loves us and watches out for us and we fellowship with him and have a relationship with him. No, it can't work. It doesn't happen. Sin is darkness, and when we walk in it, God does similar to what he did to Christ. He walks away from us. He turns our back, his back on us because he cannot fellowship with sin. Cannot. He's holy. He's thrice holy. He's pure and he's light and he will not fellowship with darkness. So it's darkness or light, not and. Darkness or light. It's not sort of light. It's not sort of darkness. It's one or the other. And that's issue number two, is that we often try to sort of give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and go, yeah, mostly light. I'm generally light. I'm, I'm pretty good. 
But yeah, I sometimes I practice sin. And both. It depends on the season. God says, no. Which is it? North or south? See, it's an impossibility to practice sin and also be with God. It's impossible, again, to go north and south at the same time. God only fellowships with us when we repent of our sin, which means you turn away from your sin. And you find cleansing for that sin that you once committed, that you once walked in. That's making Jesus Christ incredibly important. That if you don't repent of your sins, turn away from it, and find cleansing for that sin, there is no fellowship to be had with God. So you have to find cleansing. Jesus Christ is that cleansing agent. And you have to say, I'm done with you, sin. It's over from now on. I'm not going to walk in you any longer. You and I will no longer have a relationship because I desire to have a relationship with the God of the universe. And he and you do not match, do not mix. So I'm going to let you go so that I can be with him. We must be clean and we must hate sin in order to love God. Two things have to happen. Cleanliness and hatred for God's enemy. So that's issue number two. We have to declare war. We have to fight sin to the death. And we'll talk about why that is later on. What is darkness? We talked about this darkness here a lot. I, don't, I want to be very clear. I don't want to just use you know, words and metaphors. I want us to understand what darkness is. Darkness, I told you before, is really the absence of light or the absence of God. So darkness, when, if you really defined it spiritually speaking, it means God is not there. Because God is light, and if God is there, it's light. It's always light. It's only light. But if God isn't there, it's only darkness. But I want to walk you through a few things of what darkness actually is. The first one it is, is ignorance to the truth. That's darkness. There are people all over this world who are, simply have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They walk in darkness because they're ignorant of the truth about light. So they've never heard. That's why they're ignorant. And Romans brings that up, that how will they hear unless someone goes, unless someone tells them? We've got to go share the light. We've got to go show the light. At least give them the option to, to come to it or not. So the first one is ignorance to the truth. The second one is rebellion of the truth. You heard, but you don't care. You've heard the testimony of Jesus Christ. You've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you got your own thing going on. You don't care. You don't want it. That's rebellion of the truth. That's darkness. Number three, hatred for the truth. This is even more severe. You heard, and you're staying very, very clear of that truth. You're going to suppress it. You're going to knock down Christians. You're going to turn your back on God completely, and you're going to walk in your sins for the rest of your life. Hatred for the truth is darkness. Next one is neglect of the truth. This one's a little bit sl more slippery. This can even happen to you and I when, if we're trying to follow Jesus Christ is we can get too busy to walk in it. That's darkness. If we're not walking in the light and we chalk it up to just busyness, God says it's darkness. You can't do that. You can't neglect the light. You can't go in the spiritual life that God has given you without light. It doesn't work. So it's darkness when we neglect God. And we go, oh, you know what, God, you know, whatever. I'll get back to a better season, and God and I will you know, just pick up where we left off. Maybe. Maybe he will. But while you neglect the truth, you walk in darkness. And that's a really scary place to be. At least it should be. We should understand that it is. Uh, the next one is compromise of the truth. Compromise. Too cowardly to stand for it. When we compromise truth as if to say, I know, I get it, yes, I believe it, but I don't want to upset anybody. And uh, I don't really, I, to, to stand for it would be really hard. You don't you understand my place of work, you don't understand my family. To stand for truth in my family is just too difficult. So I'm just going to do it on the outskirts, I'm going to do it in my own private time. Can't happen. Cannot happen. Because light is big. Light is huge. You cannot... Filter it into your life in the little nooks and crannies. You're either walking in it or you're not walking in it. So compromise of the truth is darkness. And the last one is substitution for the truth. This is where we can replace the truth with anything else. So as God says, you read it and go, eh, I like some of that. I don't like some of that. Like 1 John 5 to 10 is one of those passages. I like some of it. Some of it's really pleasing to the ears, but the other part, yeah, I don't need that part. 
And so you substitute or you change the language of it so that it's easier to digest. It's more palatable. That's darkness. Because God's light was meant to be listened to and obeyed as it is. So these words, again, if, I, if I'm worth any salt as a pastor, I'm laying before you what God has laid before me, which you can also check my language, fact check with the scriptures and go, yeah, that is what it says. Because that's light. So that's what darkness is. Here's issue number three before we move to the hope. It's found in verses 8 to 10. Listen to what he says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. So issue number three is that we often give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. As if to say... I'm not really a sinner. I'm a good guy, you know? I'm a pretty good guy. I don't really sin much, you know? On the rare occasion, yes, I'll say something I shouldn't. When you do that, you're being very, very flippant with light. Because God says, if you know anything about him and you know anything about yourselves and know anything about the scripture, you'll make it very clear to him and to everyone, I am a sinner. I'm broken. I can't do anything without God's saving grace. So you and I, when we say we're not that bad, we're not sinners, um, it's a really bad error because it means we don't understand God's holiness, we don't understand our own tendencies to not walk in perfect holiness. And he even says, according to 1 John, the latter part of it, when we do this, we seek to make God a liar. When God says, you know, God says in Romans that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, maybe, but I haven't. You're making God a liar. So own up to your sin. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't act like it's not there. Don't act like it's no big deal. It's a big, big deal. It's a very big deal. If he sent his son Jesus in order to save you, and Jesus had to die and face the wrath of God in order to save you, sin is a very, very big deal. If there was any other way, God would have taken it. He would have not crushed his son. But he had to because that was the only way because God detests wickedness. Okay, those are the issues. We need to call sin, sin. We need to turn around. If we realize we're going south and we need to go north, there's only one option, right? Turn around. Figure out where you need to go and turn around and go the right way. What we need to do now is look at the hope, because there is hope in this passage, okay? I was very uh, challenged with uh, how to speak about this today because I, it was kind of hard and heavy. But as I look into the text, there's some great deal of hope. And we're going to talk about hope number one, which is found in verse 7. Listen to what he says. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another with God, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Hope. There's hope. That if you will admit, if you will be correct about your view about God and yourself, there's hope. You don't have to walk in darkness any longer. If you and I will simply practice obedience toward God through Christ, guess what will happen once again? We will have perfect fellowship with God. Perfect fellowship with God. If we will practice obedience, we will have a Christ Jesus cleansing us from our sins. God will have fellowship with us once again. He will be our God. We will be his people. He will love us. We will love him for eternity. If we will simply understand the right things and believe in Jesus, we can have full assurance. Full assurance that Christ is our Savior. Full assurance we're going the right way. But when we're determined and disciplined to walk in righteousness, Jesus Christ cleanses us from all those trips and falls we make along the way. And we're going to talk about that, that practicing sin is different than sinning on occasion, okay? There's a difference between those two things. And I want to be very careful with my language today because sin is sin, no matter how bad it is. Um, but because we're cleansed and because we'll be walking in the right path, we'll be constantly assured of our future hope in heaven. And I want to make something clear today, that when you and I obey, guess what happens? Our assurance is high. God has designed it that way. That when you and I obey Jesus Christ and walk correctly and follow him and obey him, God brings our assurance and our soul to the peak. And we have confidence. And you know what happens when we don't? When we practice sin and we neglect or whatever, we disobey Christ, he brings that assurance way down low. 
Because if you have assurance while you walk in sin, guess what you'll continue to do? Keep walking in sin. And if God brings that assurance way down low and says, I'm not near you, I'm not with you, and you get scared by that, guess what you can do? Turn around. You could turn around. You can repent of your sin. You can come back to God and the assurance returns. Now, what I'm not saying is that your salvation is going in and out. So don't misrepresent me. What I'm saying is the assurance of your salvation goes up and down based on your light or dark practice. Does that make sense? God has designed it that way so that you and I will no longer walk incorrectly. But obedience, faithfulness, brings you assurance. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I need that assurance. I am a second guesser. It's easy for me to doubt things and question my own authenticity. I need the assurance of God that I'm the right person. I'm the right, going the right way. I have to have that, and I know you do too. That's why obedience is so crucial to me and to you is so that God, you can have the assurance of God upon your soul. Practicing repentance of sin and righteous living by obedience means we're on God's side and all of his promises are yes and amen to us. Isn't that a cool thing to know? That if you're walking in repentance, if you're walking in righteousness, that every promise you see in scripture is yours. Claim it. Own it. Abide in it. Love it. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your house. It's yours. If you're walking correctly. God wants you to have those promises because those promises give you legs. They give you strength. They push you forward, don't they? When you see a promise of God, you go, yes, God will never leave me nor forsake me. And that just tells you to soldier on because he's right there next to you. But our evidence of salvation hinges upon our obedience to Jesus. And again, notice the language, not our salvation. Our evidence of salvation hinges upon our obedience to Jesus. That if you don't obey and you and I don't obey, we just don't know. We can guess. But who really wants to guess if you're a child of God or not? I don't want to guess at that. I want to know that. So you must be walking in obedience and faithfulness to have that assurance. Because that's how God has designed it. So if there's no proof, if you're walking in darkness, there's also no hope. You have no hope that you are going to be with God on the last day. And God has designed it that way so that you turn around. So let's go to this next. I talked about what is darkness. The next thing I want to look at is what is light? What is light? Well, there's really only one definition for light that I can see in Scripture. It's true knowledge of and obedience to the truth. You have to know it and you have to practice it. There's two things. You can't just know it. You've got to practice it as well. You can't just practice it because you won't know the right things. You've got to know it and practice that. I won't turn here, but in Matthew 7, 24 to 27, if you guys remember that passage, Jesus says there's two kind of builders, those who build their house upon the rock and those who build their house upon the sand. Now, the rock will stand. It's firm. It's, it's, it's eternal. It's never going to be shaken. And the house upon the sand is going to crumble as soon as there's any kind of stress put on it. And you know what the difference is between building your house upon the rock and building your house upon the sand, according to Jesus? Those who hear my words and do them is the person who builds his house upon the rock. Those who hear my words and do them. The guy who builds his house upon the sand are those who hear the words of God and does not do them. Heard only, listened to only, did not abide by. The other day, uh, several days ago actually, um, I'm not great with directions. If you guys ever tell me where something is, you want to write it down for me. Uh, I'm not real good at directions, and I, this is a big blunder. I, I got on the highway, 81, uh, wanting to go 81 north to get home, because I was, I was south of where home was. So I wanted to get on 81 north to go home, and I got on 81 south. Big deal, right? It's just south. So I got on 81 south, and I stayed on 81 south for about half hour. Really? <laughs> Before I realized I was going the wrong way, I'm like, wow, smooth sailing here. I'm going to be home in no time. Then I'm like, I should be home by now. And then I realized the sign said 81 South. Well, it's only the difference between an S and an N. So you know what I did? I just kept sailing. Big deal. I just kept going south. Eventually, I'll come back. You know, I'll go around the world and, you know, go up to the north and come eventually make myself way back home. And, and I just kept going down. I just kept going down to Virginia. I kept going down to Georgia and Florida. That's ridiculous. I didn't do that. You know what I did? I turned around. 
I found the next exit. I got off. I found where 81 North was, and I got back on because that's the right way home. That's what John is saying to us today. If you're going the wrong way, it cannot go to heaven. It cannot. If you're practicing sin and walking in error or neglect of truth, you have to turn around. You've got to get off immediately. Don't even wait the next exit. Spiritually, just get right off and start going north, either again or for the first time. Because light and darkness are that contrasted. They are two complete different directions. Here's hope number two. This is found in verse 9. If we confess our sins, listen to what it says about God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember how one sin kicked you out of paradise in God's fellowship? There's one thing you need to do in order to find that fellowship again. Confess. When you confess, repentance is then obvious. You can't do that any longer. When you confess, you realize that it's wrong, you realize that it's sin, you realize that God doesn't like that, and then repentance is the next step. But God says as soon as you confess, the forgiveness and the mercy flows to your heart and to your soul. Isn't that a great thing to know? You don't have to make any penance. You don't have to go like they did in the Old Testament times and take the blood of a bull and a goat. You confess and you come back to Christ. You start going north. And God says, you're mine. You're mine. You're cleansed. You're pure. You're holy. I want you. Be with me. Be near me. Never leave again. Remember the prodigal son? Right? That's a shocking part of that story. The guy comes back going, I don't know. At the best, my dad will take me back as a servant. But it's better than eating with the pigs. But as soon as he made his way back home, guess what he found? The embrace of a father. A loving, steadfast, patient, merciful father who was ready to welcome him back home because he owned up to his sin. And if he didn't own up to his sin, he stays with the pigs. He never finds his father's love. But as soon as he says, God, I've messed up. I shouldn't have done that. I don't want to do that any longer. He finds the welcome embrace of God. As soon as we confess our sins, as soon as we say, it is sin, I broke your laws, God. This isn't what I should be doing. God says, welcome home, soul. Don't leave again. This is where you need to be. So confession of sin gives hope of turning to the light once again. That even if today you're walking in darkness today, today you can repent. Today you can confess. Today you can find the path of light. You don't have to drive another half hour or a half part of the year or two or five years and try to correct things. You confess. And God says, welcome home. Isn't that a great hope? Isn't that a great promise? That even if you're one of those people today, and I really had to wrestle with that, am I one of those people walking in darkness? If you own up to that today and say, yeah, I am. I don't think I'm walking in light. There's hope for you today. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And God says, confess your sins and come to the light. Let's clarify what John has been saying here very quickly. <clears throat> This is what he's been saying all along. If we're walking in darkness, which means sin, we can have zero confidence that we have a relationship with God or any redemption at all from Christ. And for a long, long time in my life, I tried to convince myself that even, even though I was walking in darkness, God and I were still on good terms. Until he came to me about age 26 and said, Todd, wrong way. You ever see one of those signs? You ever do one of those too? Yeah, I've done that too. Wrong way, wrong road. This does not lead to where you think it does. Turn around. For walking in sin, we must turn around. There's no other option. If we're walking in light, or we desire to walk in light, we will find the necessary proof of our authenticity as a Christian. There it is. If you walk in light and you can obey, do you know why that is? There's no other way this is possible than you've been born of Christ because you can't obey God without Christ. So if you can listen to the words of Jesus and put them into practice, you're alive. You're alive because you cannot practice the words of God without Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. You can't even know them properly 
without the Holy Spirit and without being alive. So if you can walk in light, if you can obey today, if you can confess your sins and turn around today, you have life in your soul. And that should give you great hope. And going the right way, turning around, means you're on the path to heaven. That path leads in heaven. Righteous living, practicing righteousness, leads to heaven. Now, John wants to clarify once again that walking in light doesn't mean we never sin. Verses 8 clarifies that. It means we don't practice sin. And that's why I wanted TGD to read that passage to you this morning. Whoever practices sin is of the devil. Whoever practices righteousness is of Christ. It doesn't say you never slip and never fall. Now, I, I'm not going to tell anyone you can slip and you can fall. There's no license here. But he wants you to know that whatever you practice is what you are. If you practice light, you're of the light. If you practice darkness, you're of the darkness. And you need to confess and repent of that darkness, if you have to, and turn back to Jesus Christ. So take a very close look at your life today. I can't do that for you. I can't peer into the nooks and crannies of your soul. I don't see you from sunup to sundown. I see you very, very short periods of time. So you got to do the inventory of the soul and say, what do I actually practice? What are the themes in my life? Practicing sin is the path to hell. I just have to say it today. If you're practicing sin, no matter what your confession is, no matter what you believe happened in your soul, that path does not lead to heaven. Can't happen. You must get off the path of darkness and get on the path of light because that's the only path that leads to heaven. Here's a sweet promise. If and when we sin, we can find cleansing by confessing our sins. We mentioned that before. Confess. Own up to it today. I've had to do that several times, even recently, to say to God, I was wrong. I, I disobeyed. That is sin, God. I recognize it. I know you recognize it. I'm calling it what it is, and I don't want to do it any longer. And as soon as I did that, restoration came. Isn't that wonderful to know? But that promise is never to be used to negate what John has already told us, that walking in darkness equates no fellowship with God. So, in other words, don't go, oh, God will forgive me as every time I confess? I'll just walk in sin then, and then at the end of the day, I'll just you know, give him a confession and be fine. No, because God doesn't have any fellowship with darkness. God knows the heart. God knows your desires. God knows what you want to practice, what you want to live for. If it's light, he and you are going to have great fellowship together. If it's darkness, he won't have any fellowship with you at all. You have to let go of sin first. So important things to remember. We've got to move quickly. If we're walking in darkness today, we can still find redemption. Today, as long as it's called today, there is a Savior for you. There is hope for you by confessing your sins and turning around making a swift and prompt U-turn because the whole point of light coming into this world was so that you would come out of darkness. That's why Jesus came into the world, so that you don't have to live and walk in darkness any longer, myself included. Number two, I want you to understand this today from the text. God wants us to have proper, proper fellowship with him. He does. God doesn't want to just go, oh, you wicked sinner, get out of my sight. He wants you back with him. But he's not going to fellowship with sin. He's not going to. God never lowers his standard just to have the people that he loves with him. He can't or he's not God. He must hate wickedness. And he does every single day. Number three, sin needs to be confessed, repented of, warred against if we desire ongoing fellowship with God because it's the theme of the heavenly citizen. If you're a heavenly citizen today, you hate sin. You have to. Sin is God's enemy. And that's number four. At all times, either sin is our enemy or God is our enemy. That's hard to think about, isn't it? That unless sin is your enemy, God is your enemy. And there's never a time where you're in the middle. So which is it? Do you want to love God or love sin? Do you want to hate God or hate sin? Here's the best way to walk in light. This is the way I'm going to end today. This is what Jesus says in John 8, verses 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. The point is this. We have been loved to love. God redeemed us at such an enormous cost because he didn't want us to be cast from him forever. He didn't want us to be destroyed. He wanted us back with him to be useful for his purposes, to find fellowship with him once again. To accept God's love and to continue to abuse him is not only incredibly foolish, it's the most hurtful lifestyle possible towards God. To say, God, thank you for your love. Now I'm going to use that love against you and continue to hurt you. Why would we want to continue to hurt God? I had to ask myself that question in my mid-20s. Not only why aren't you doing these things, Todd, right, righteousness and righteous living, why don't you want to? Why don't you want to live for God? He sent his son so that you could have life, so that you could have hope, so that you couldn't be destroyed, so that you didn't have to walk in darkness. Why don't you want to follow Christ? The question for all of us today, myself included, is will you continue to walk in darkness if you are, or will you shed light on the darkness and follow the light, Jesus, toward eternal life? Jesus is the light, the eternal light. The only other option to following Jesus is unfortunately eternal darkness and separation from God. In other words, Jesus and following him is incredibly crucial. It's the most crucial thing you'll ever hear or know of. It's not a part of your life. It's not something you can squeeze into the nooks and crannies of your life. Jesus is the light and everything else is darkness. We just have to call it what it is. Doesn't that make Jesus very important to you and to me? If you're going south today, spiritually, turn around and start going north by confessing your sins and following the light of Jesus Christ. Because you can. And that's the whole point of today. To not continue to walk in darkness. Not like it's not, act like it's not there. And just continue going south like a moron that I did on the highway. Turn around. I pray that you'll listen to this today. That God's amazing gift of grace is light sent into the world. To, to show it that it's sin and to bring it out and into perfect fellowship with God again. Because the end of the story is not kicking us from paradise. It's welcoming us into eternal paradise because of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you uh, would talk to our hearts and our souls today. Only you can do the work in the soul. You did it in mine, and so I'll trust that you'll do it in those here today who need to hear this. That in you is no darkness at all. We have to be very, very clear on that fact. And... We need to listen to what you've taught us. We need to follow Jesus Christ very, very closely because he is the light and he is the agent of salvation. Help us today, Father, to understand how good and holy and righteous and pure and loving that you are to bring us out of darkness forever. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.